This is KMTT, Kimitzion Tetzay Torah, in uh, the summer's man. Starting uh, now after Pesach, we'll be having a series of shiurim by Harav Moshe Tarigan on Pekei Avot, to complement, hopefully, your own learning of Pekei Avot each week, a different parak, one Mishnah, one idea, from each parak keeping up with the general learning. Harav Moshe Tarigan. The sixth parak of Perki Avos, is that really part of Perki Avos? Um, but it was appended in all of the Shasin. There was a set of Brysos, um, which includes various statements of praise, various um, characteristics of Torah study, beginning with Irvi Mayer's first statement about all the personal development which Torah is meant to jumpstart or meant to trigger. And followed um, by all um, all sorts of other brayos detailing how important Torah study is, and the reason that the sixth parak was uh, included is because traditionally Perkiyavos was recited in the six Shabbosos between Pesach and Shavuos. That was the base minhag, and in some cases it extends until Rosh Hashanah, but. There were only five original Prakim of Perkyavos, so a fifth parak had to be formed, the sixth parak, excuse me, in order to allow for that sixth week, not including Shabbos Chalamai or Shabbos Pesach. So, um, the, uh, the first two Mishnas, the first Mishnah and a half, Rabbi Meir Omer, Chalosik Batar Lishma, Zochel Ledvarim Harbe. Rabbi extols all the personal moral virtues which Torah study yields. There's a long list. Kol ha-lomeid, kol ha-osek, batar ha-lishma, zochar l'dvarim harbei, v'lo'od ela shekol ha-olam kulo kidayhu lo, nikorea, he's called a friend, ahov, a loved person, ohevis ha-makom, a lover of Hashem, or this ebriot, a lover of people, mishan, misamechat ha-makom, misamechat ebriot, mal bashto anava. A very important Mishnah, especially in in the in the um, 19th century, and in the early 20th century, where the whole debate around Musser learning erupted, should a person dedicate Torah study time towards the study of texts which maybe are culled from Torah, but are oriented more directly, more frontally, towards moral character development, virtue development. Um, perhaps the style of Musser may have been one which was morally healthy in order to repeat words, repeat sentences again and again, just to remind yourself of the moral compulsion, but may not have been classic um, Torah study techniques of thinking, of uh, reading commentaries. In the modern context, of course, this debate seems a little bit academic. Unfortunately, in some cases, Torah study has receded that the debate whether a person should study Gemara Bhavakama in depth and reading the Tosas and Rashi or you should, quote-unquote, waste his time by reading a Masilas Yisharim or Chovas Alvavos. It seems like a ridiculous question. People want to study Torah. We encourage them to study whatever Torah they can. And like I mentioned a moment ago, unfortunately, in some cases, the sacrifice doesn't occur. So the debate as to what type of Torah or how Torah should be studied seems very much, uh, I'm going to call it secondary. It seems irrelevant. But there were some great debates about the importance of Moser study. These were not simple issues or great controversies in some of the great yeshivos in Europe. In the end of the 19th century, there were real active um, campaigns to and for and against. 
and they became very violent. Um, by and large, in mostly all yeshivas today, in one way or another, Musa is studied as a tool to induce moral development. The opponents of Musa claim that if Torah is studied properly, then Musa is necessary. Of course, in studying even the most technical aspects of Torah, he sees Torah as the divinely revealed word of Hashem, as the eternal knowledge and wisdom of the British Baruch that recognition should permeate his consciousness and induce the type of transformation, the type of personal improvement which Musser seeks. Of course, even the Musser proponents agreed that in theory, in the ideal sense, this moral transformation should be and could be brokered solely by Torah study. It is thought that in most cases it wasn't, or it was no longer. Maybe in previous generations, Torah had been studied properly, assiduously enough, with enough commitment and sacrifice to catalyze that type of growth. But they claim in the 19th century that it was no longer being studied in that fashion, and therefore, Musser um, study had to be introduced in order to complement Torah study. Anyway, this Mishnah, the first Mishnah in the sixth parak of Perkyavos, is a Mishnah that the, so to speak, anti Musser forces would quote. The Mishnah, Rabbi Meir says, if you study Torah Lishma, look at the list of traits that a person can achieve modesty, Yerashamayim, Piety, Chesed, Yashar, Naaman, and, and that's just the beginning of the list. Uh, so this is a very famous Mishnah um, about the value of Torah, not just on its own terms, studying Hashem's will, uncovering the Divine Code, but allowing Torah to permeate through the personality and affecting the type of transformation which, ideally, Torah alone should be sufficient to create. On the heels of this Mishnah, and the way the Mishnah Isles were structured, um, after every mayor's statement, the mayor's statement spans Mishnah Aleph and the beginning of Mishnah Beis, the first part of Mishnah Beis. In the middle of Mishnah Beis, Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi comments, and his comments are very much to be seen in the wake of Rabbi Meir's comments. Um, Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi, one of the most well-known Amur uh, well-known, in fact, primarily as a person who excelled in Agadatam. We have physicians, I mean, sure, but maybe in Halacha as well. But the Gemara Baba Kama, Nurheim and Aleph, cites him as an expert in Agada. And sometimes these differences are blurred in the um, rear-view mirror of history. There really were certain Tanayim who excelled in the field of Agada. And there were other Tanayim who excelled in the field of Halacha. And of course, even in the field of Halacha, those who were called Sinai, those who were called Al-Kir Harim, those who had encyclopedic type knowledge bases, just remember, you were able to quote and review information, those who excelled more in the induction, inductive reasoning, and development of analysis, and, and, um, I don't know that there was a conscious division of labor, but it did clearly emerge. And Rabbi Shorban Levi issues a four-part statement about Talmud Torah. The first two parts are what one could say very caustic, very severe, very harsh. They speak about the loss, the tragedy of missing opportunity for proper Torah study. And the last two sections are much more similar to Rimeir's original Mishnah about the opportunity of Torah study and how it affects a person, how it should affect a person. But the first two parts of Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi's statement are as follows. Amar Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi, 
v'chol yom v'yom, baskol yotzeis miharchoreh, each day, a heavenly voice emerges in the vicinity of Harachari Baharsinai. Umachrezes veomeres, and it announces, Oyim lohem labrios, woe is to people, mel bonishotar. Of the affront and the insult to Tar. Now, it's not clear whether this is the end of the Baskal because the Mishnah continues. Whoever doesn't study Torah is considered excommunicated, um, contempted, disdained, mikranozov. Did a Rishon and Levi cite this drasha and the ensuing Pasek or Mishle that he proves it from? Or is this actually part of the Baskal? It's hard to know. Unclear from the syntax of the Mishnah. But let's just concentrate on the Baskal. Rishon um, and Levi is altering Rabbi Meir's strategy. Rabbi Meir extolled the potential, the redemptive effect, the ennobling impact of Torah study. Rabbi Levi inverts this. First thing I say, look, I won't study Torah. I won't enjoy all the benefits and privileges and um, ennobling impact upon a personality, but I haven't really lost anything. I haven't really damaged, or I mean, it's a general, general attitude which people adopt regarding Mrs. Essay. There's lots of say people approach with fear, with caution, with um, scrutiny, recognizing that if some of those he serve are violated or breached, then uh, a great impurification of a religious sensibility of a person's soul has occurred. Vasa Bechala, Chazir, Tuma, Nida, these are classic chapsa Isura. And person realizes that contact with them can have an adulterating impact. When it comes to Mrs. Essay, sometimes there's a lackadaisical or relaxed attitude. Well, these are opportunities to draw close to Kaddish Baruch. Well, if an opportunity is missed, well, <coughs> colloquially, no pain, no gain. Nothing has been lost, nothing has been gained. If that attitude is pervasive with regard to Mrs. Essay, it's even more dangerous or prevalent with regard to Torah Mrs. Essay appears as a isolated, defined, concrete responsibility. At this time of day, or this day of the year, or my entire day once, my entire year once a day, the responsibility to perform an action. If I don't perform that action, so my religious duties have been neglected. The all-encompassing nature of Torah study works to its advantage, demanding absolute and complete, exhaustive commitment. As the Rambam writes in Nechos Tamatara, each person is obligated to learn Torah with all of his resources as best as he can. But it also invites an even greater carelessness. Sense of, well, I'm not studying now, I'll study later. They still have a mitzvah later. It's not a mitzvah there. It's not a mitzvah that will elapse. Not defined. And because of that, not only because of that, because of other reasons, Torah is neglected. So Yeshua ben Levi is trying to stem, prevent some of this neglect. The mere statement, as inspiring, as exciting as it may be, invites this type of, well, you can become an Arab, you can become a Rishamayim, and you could receive a Raze Torah Mishnah base. You could be um, you can raise the 
caliber of your life by studying Torah, but if I don't, so I'll get to it, get around to it later. John Levy says, there's an affront, there's a lament, there's a loss, and it's a loss not just in personal terms, but in almost cosmic terms. The world itself is a voice that emerges from heaven, so the Torah or the missed Torah opportunities have been sensed in circles, frameworks, larger than person's life. It's interesting that this Baskol circulates in Harchari. It's obvious that that's the location of Torah's delivery. It's interesting that the term Harchari is employed by Shorban Levi, not Harsinai. Harchari tends to highlight the more penal and severe elements of Harsinai. For example, Chazal interpreted the word Harach, the Yarda Chorboli Olam, Chorboli Lumas Olam, that this was um, the site in which future destruction was delivered. Lumas Olam, for not accepting the Torah, for challenging the Jewish role, for violating mitzvahs. Harach, the word Harach, the Harach to be destroyed, is certainly more um, ominous than some of the other names of Harsinai, for example, or Haharabakim. Interestingly enough, um, once the Torah was delivered to Harsinai, we really lost all interest, other than historical and archaeological. We don't really have any religious interest in pilgriming, pilgrimages to Harsinai. There's no Kedusha in Harsinai. There's no conceptual Kedusha. There's certainly no Halachic Kedusha. Person's Tame, Tame Mace. Person's carrying a mace is perfectly, perfectly fine. But even if you could discover a Sinai walking up on that mountain, unlike Kahar Maria, there is no Kedusha. There really is no religious interest. There's all sorts of stories where archaeologists believe they may have discovered her Sinai. And um, obviously from a historical standpoint, it's fascinating to consider. But from a religious standpoint, it fades from view. Um, Tara was delivered in in a vacuum, it was delivered in a time vacuum. That's why Tara doesn't tell us when Harsinai occurred, when Matan Tara was, and there's great uncertainty and, and ambiguity as to the dating of Harsinai and Matan Tara. And does it occur fixed in a civilized um, state? Does it occur in Israel? It occurs in the wilderness of the desert. And Harsinai is almost like this mystical or mythical mountain, obviously it exists, that comes to the fore, rises to the stage, plays its role, and fades. And we never return to Harsinai, and we have no interest in returning to Harsinai. It's, it's a stage, it's a prop. And yet, according to Rishob and Levi, the Baskol is heard against. It's perfectly natural for that to be the site of the Baskol, but then again, a Baskol doesn't have to be fixed to a site. The Baskol, in theory, Rishob and Levi could have attributed the Baskol to just the Baskol Yar Meshamayim. The person could hear it in New York or hear it in Johannesburg or hear it in London. And presumably, it can be heard, whatever it means to hear a Baskol. Somehow, it was a Baskol which is fixed and centered upon the site of delivery. Kirchbarach would deliver it to human beings, expecting human beings to embrace it. When human beings don't embrace it, they betray that moment in our Sinai. And certainly, it calls to mind. It he evokes the scenes which various Midrashans speak of, of angels and Shemayim furiously rejecting, furiously uh, objecting 
Trakarish Baruch's decision to deliver the Torah to Basar Vadam to mortal man, in part because man would neglect it, either neglect its obedience or neglect its study, and um, almost as if the scene of the crime, so to speak, is revisited, and the position of the Malachim perhaps vindicated when people ignore Torah and, and they insult Torah. And that phrase itself, personifies Torah, and Torah is clearly personified both throughout Tanakh and throughout Chazal, where Torah is given in an animate sense. Um, it comes to Shemayim and speaks to Hashem and lodges its claim and, and, and is an animate conscious participant in debates in Shemayim. There's a personification of Torah vis-a-vis man, that we're meant to marry Torah, various Gemaras and Kiddushin, that we're meant to treat Torah like a wife, like a sister, the Gemara Kiddushin. So if Torah has that metaphoric, animate life, then it can be insulted. Calls to mind, perhaps, the very famous Medrash where um, the Yud of Sarai complains to Kiddush Baruch Hu, because the Yud would delete it from Sarai's name, and Akash Baruch promises that Yud, that he will make it up to the Yud by replacing the Yud, or adding a Yud to Hoshea's name, converting it to Yoshua. Or the letters of the Torah complaining to Akash Baruch that Shlomo Melech was being too cavalier. Shlomo Melech reads the sections in Parsha Shavtim, about a man not having, or a king not having too many wives, that his heart shouldn't be distracted, or or redirected away from service of HaKadosh Baruch Hu and service of people in Shalom who thought he was too smart for the Torah's regulations, said, well, I'll have many wives and I'll be careful not to turn my heart away. And the Torah comes up to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and complains, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, that Shlomo Ve'elef Kamo will be Shlomo and thousands of other wise people who will come to this world and speculate about the wisdom of Hashem's Torah and form their own positions. They will pass, and you, of course, are eternal. And there's an animate sense of Torah, and Torah's actually worried when people don't fulfill Torah as objective and immortal and eternal as Torah is. When people fulfill it, Torah is, is given greater life, greater meaning, is, is exposed in our world, is proliferated to more people. And when Torah is not studied, or in this case is disobeyed, or even something as innocuous as a letter of the Torah being deleted from Sari's name, then Torah is insulted, or Torah regresses, Torah's position. And um, and when Torah isn't studied, there's an albonishal Torah, there's an ins- insult, one affront to Torah. So this is a very, very fascinating um, set of imagery associated with the albonishal Torah that emerges every day on Har Sinai. Um, seemingly, even when people study properly, because... Torah can never be completely studied properly because of its infinite sweep, because of its enormity. And again, it seems as if there's an elbow of Torah, there's an insult to Torah, Oilehem Labrios. Doesn't sound like Oilehem Yisrael, Oilehem Labrios, that there's a insult and a disdain for Torah which is expressed by humanity in general. The second part of this statement, or the second part of this early, I think the first stage of Shulam Levi's statement, maybe it's a part of the Baskal, is as follows. Shekol Mishenu Oseg Batara, person who doesn't study Tara, and here he picks up one of the mayor's original phraseology, the difference between Limud Tara and Oseg Batara, 
Limanatar is a cognitive exercise. Osik is an investment, a toil, an effort, a labor. Um, Parshish Bichokosa, this week's Parsha, very famous Rashi, based on the beginning of Parshish Bichokosa, in Bichokosa Telechu. Rashi quotes the Sifra, Kurdish Baruch Hu Misabe, the Rabbonu Shalom Kavitz, Shi Yisrael Amelim Matan, the Shi Work in Tara, reminiscent of the Bracha, which we recite, Birchas Atara Asher Kudoshano, Mitzvah Bitsivano, Lasok Bidivri Sara, rather than Lomoras Atara. So Rabbi Yeshua Malevi claims, Shakomi Sheno Oseg Batara. Whoever doesn't toil, whoever doesn't toil in Tara, Nikra Nazof. Nazof means rejected, um, scolded. Rashi interprets it as menuda, which is an even more institutionalized scolding, not just scolded or contempted or disdained, but um, excommunicated, set aside. So here we show the lady claims it's not just a theoretical um, loss to the world, insult to Torah, but that person is is less of a person, is less regarded in Shammai, in Nikra, Nazaf. And he quotes an interesting Pasuk, Pasuk which doesn't directly seem to relate about to relate to Talmud Torah study. It's a Pasuk in Mishlei, Perak Yud Aleph, Pasuk Chavez. Nezem, Zahav, Bi'af, Chazir. A gold ring in the nose of a pig. Isha Yafa, a beautiful woman, Visaras Tam, without um, value, without taste, without refinement and dignity. Even the Pasuk in Mishle, on his own, before Bishol and Levi's Drasha, is quite intriguing. The two parts of this Pasuk each capture an irony. There's an irony of adorning a pig an ugly, dirty, soiled animal with a beautiful gold ring. And that same dichotomy and irony exists with a woman who appears beautiful. There's actually there's an inversion because the Chazir doesn't appear beautiful. Vesaras Tam. But ultimately possesses or, or doesn't possess any value or any integrity. Now, Harabi Shorvin Levi was able to trace this Pasuk back to Talmud Torah, or back to a person that doesn't study Torah, is not exactly clear. Rashi gives his shot, the Bilderberg gives his shot, and in addition to that, where does this Pasuk talk about someone being excommunicated? Pasuk talks about gold rings in the noses of pigs, and women who are attractive, but don't possess corresponding integrity. What does that have to do with um, with someone that doesn't study Torah. And how do we see that he's called a Nazar? Maybe we call the Chazir, maybe we call the woman doesn't have time, but there's no, uh, um, some want to say that maybe a phonetics, Nezemzaviaf, can be combined, can be uh, conjugated to sound like Nazar, Nezemzaviaf, Nazar. Um, that thing as it may, there seems to be an undercurrent here. And the undercurrent to the statement perhaps may be autobiographical. In Medrash Tanchuma, Parshas Va'era, Parakei, Simene, Yerogan Levi laments about himself, claims that he learned 60 halachos from a Yehudah in Padya, 
60 halachos about a very arcane, not arcane, a very picky issue about Harisha Sekeva. That a field which once possessed graves, tombstones, was subsequently um, plowed. Those tombstones and the dead bodies which were under those tombs have been lost. Can a coin walk through that field? Can a tar person walk through that field? Known colloquially in halachas a base apras. So, the Rishon and Levi had studied 60 halachos just about this one topic. However, he says, I forgot them all. Because I committed myself to Tzibor, and the Rishon and Levi was involved in traveling to Rome and presenting the Jewish cause and the Jewish case to the Romans. And in the, the man of course, the Pasuk in Kohelas, um, Hiroshik, Yehulal Chacham, that person, um, in this case, Oshik means, um, involvement in Sarachet Sibor, involvement in, in general matters as important as it is, can cause a person to forget his Torah study. Um, it's not clear if Rishua bin Levi is um, regretting his decision. And it's a time-old, age-old question um, about whether a person should sacrifice their Torah study on behalf of other people, on behalf of other people's Torah, on behalf of the general welfare of a community, of a nation. Um, but there's a sense in Shobin Levy's life of lost Torah opportunities. That may be coming to the fore here. Um... The pig has an opportunity. It's been given something powerful, in this case, graceful and beautiful, and instead it ruins it by um, by um, continuing it in its ways, by dipping its head into the dirt, into the festering um, dirt of its corral. Same thing with the woman. It's um, perhaps to be sure, but lady is not just stressing the importance of not missing car opportunities. But people have been given that potential, been given that ring, that knowledge of the woman, has been given that beauty, and it isn't used properly, it's abused. So that may be the cause for the nazifa, that may be the cause for the scolding, for the mocking. The person hasn't been given those opportunities, the person is not a tamachachim, who hasn't had Torah opportunities, may not be treated in the same way. Either way, this, these two statements, Take Rabbi Meir's original statement and invert them. Not just do you have opportunity to gain Torah study, but if you don't study Torah, there's an affront to Torah. If you don't study Torah, especially if you have the opportunity to study Torah, Nikronazi. You're considered scolded, contempted, and um, disparaged. Now, obviously, these are very, very powerful statements about the importance and the value of Talmud Torah. Um, they can also be if understood, if applied perhaps, disproportionately, can be used to devalue people that don't study Torah. And I don't think that, um, obviously, any statement of Chazal taken on its own is a partial truth, has to be held up together with the entire system of Chazal. And um, especially if the Nazifa refers to someone who has Torah opportunities and abandons them, abandons them for other studies, abandons them for then it's a ministry you all identify very deeply with. But the person just doesn't have the opportunity, 
hasn't been cultivated with that interest, hasn't been exposed to those skills, to devalue their religious life simply because they can't or won't study Torah. I'm not sure if that was the original intention of the Shorban Levi. Even if it was, our position sometimes has to be distilled by reading a variety of Chazal's opinion. And Rishwab and Levi may have adopted that position just as Rishun Bayrochai. A couple of days ago we celebrated a live bomber, Rishun Bayrochai, after spending 12 years in the cave, where the son of Eliezer emerged and saw Jews who were simply working to earn an honest living and weren't able to learn their entire day, and were so agitated by what he saw that he ultimately um, punished and killed by looking at them. Um, I'm not sure that everyone agrees with Rishun Bayrochai, and it calls to mind very famous Machlokas from Shem Baruchai and Bishma. And how to interpret the second parish of Kriyashma, Yasata Deganachavitur Shavi Yitzaracha. Bishma claim that this is a warrant and a sanction for people to work, to earn a living, and to learn with whatever time they have available. Shem Baruchai thought that that was impossible, that was absurd, because the sheer challenge of a daily schedule would obviate any serious Torah study. And the Gemara concludes, they're not really concluding. It doesn't tell us what a Paskin's like, but many people attempted the strategy of Rabbi Shmuel to have a normal work schedule, and they succeeded. And others chose Rabbi approach approach, and they were not successful. It's obvious it's a harder harder strategy to put into play. But in, in any case, um, it's important to see Rabbi Shmuel comment in this context of the Machlokis about Torah study, and, and even in Shorban Levi, speaking harshly, um, it's a harshness that we should apply to encourage us in our own Torah study, but not to devalue people who keep mitzvahs and are very deeply religious, but for whatever reason aren't able to generate the Torah study, which the Shorban Levi expects. The conclusion of Shorban Levi's statement about the person who studies Torah is free from all sorts of bondages and responsibilities, the personal elevation and almost aristocratization, person becoming an aristocrat and becoming a better and deeper person. These are issues which Mr. Shem will come back to at a different time.